This episode of In the Thick is brought to you by Jet.com. For 20% off your first two orders over $35, visit Jet.com and enter promo code ITT at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. See Jet.com for details. American white students are in the minority. And guess what? They have grown up their entire lives hearing about these borders and these invaders and these walls. And my question to young white people is, do you know where you come from? Welcome to In the Thick. This is a podcast about politics, race, and culture from a POC perspective. I'm Maria Hinojosa. And I'm Julio Ricardo Varela. And yo, 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 we are live at the Aspen Ideas Festival. I mean, we are live. We are live at the Aspen Ideas. Yo, Julio, how did that happen that we are at the Aspen Ideas Festival? Are we that smart? I, I think, I, I hope so. We have some seriously smart guests with us today. Yes, They're like our family. Jose Antonio Vargas is an award-winning, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, um, formerly of the Washington Post. Um, he's the founder of Define American and speaks up for undocumented immigrants everywhere because he is one from the Philippines. Jose Antonio Vargas, hermano. Thank you so much for having me here. So good to have you, you here. Me. Thank you. And Wajahat Ali is an award-winning playwright. He's an amazing father. And he's a newest contributor to the New York Times. Hello. Hey, was. We're so happy. Okay, so we're going to talk about an issue that I talk about probably every day. We're going to talk about two words, immigrants and crime. Um, and for a lot of people in this country, those words now are directly connected. It wasn't always like this, right, Julio? Right, and you got to go back to the 80s. Everyone remember Ronald Reagan? Probably the epitome, like the Republican president of our generation, no arguments there, passing an amnesty bill, right? Allowing, giving status to millions of undocumented immigrants. About three, or about just about over three million. Three million, right? Can you imagine that happening now? But in the 90s, that changed, right? A guy named Bill Clinton, who's not a Republican. In the 1996 ad against um, Bob Dole, he said this. President Clinton doubled border agents, a thousand more for California, 160,000 illegal immigrants and criminals deported, a record. He was bragging about it in 1996. We seem to forget that what we have right now is a bipartisan mess, right? So I came to this country in 1993 when I was 12. 96 is when this was passed. Right. I found out in 1997 that I was here illegally after going to the DMV to get a driver's license. That's when I found out that my green card was fake. All I could think of was, wait a second, like in that time, and I was living in California, the Pete Wilson era, whenever people said illegal, it meant Mexican. And I'm Filipino, so I was like, yo, they're not talking about me. That woman at the DMV said, this green card is fake. The one thing I said to her was like, I'm not Mexican. <gasps> That's what I said to her, Maria. Wow. I so internalized what that was that that was literally the first thing I said to her. Wow. And then, and then 1996 is this thing. Now, mind you, people ask me all the time, even here in Aspen. Now, here, people in Aspen, you know, you, you, you read The Economist and you read The New York Times and The Washington Post. Congratulations. But a lot of people here don't know that there's actually no path for people like me to become citizens. Right. So let me get back to this point. Yeah, go for because it. Because of Bill Clinton and what he signed, mind you, during the Gingrich Revolution, a Republican Congress, right? If someone like me who's undocumented were to leave, we would be faced with a 10-year bar. It would be 10 years before we could even apply to try to come back. 
So that is a direct connection to the Bill Clinton era, which also introduces idea of immigrants as criminals and immigrants as the ones right, because, taking, taking, because, taking. Because Bill Clinton has deported more immigrants than anybody else. I am neither a Republican nor a Democrat. I can't vote. I only have a Bank of America credit card and like a driver's license, so I can't vote. So this has been a bipartisan mess, and this is not about to hate our Republicans or Democrats. It's not about that. It's just about facts. So Waj, how did... Then we get to 9-11. How did that dynamic change? Before I was Maria's uh, favorite moderate Muslim. Um, <laughs> thank you. Too soon? Too soon? My bad. There, uh, there are four moderate Muslims left on earth. You are looking at a circumcised unicorn. Uh, the other two moderate Muslims are right there, Abdullah and Farhan Latif. And the <laughs> they're other raising one, their hands. The other one is hiding with Donald Trump's taxes. So you'll never see it. But uh, before I was the moderate Muslim, a safe Muslim, I'm a recovering attorney. And I was actually working at the intersection of criminal law and immigration law. And you guys might not know this. And a lot of the cases that we're dealing with were people who were just stuck in limbo, in purgatory. We're talking about individuals, undocumented, uh, nonviolent offenses who were stuck in limbo for three to four years to the point where literally they're like, listen, release us or deport us. And the, 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 this connotation that you said, right? Mexican is undocumented. Immigrant is criminal. Muslim is... Terrorist. Terrorist. And this synergy, that was, you guys are a little too quick on that. Yeah, they were very quick. <laughs> know, they, they, little, you know, they were like, oh, we know the answer to that. Word. Save me, save me. No, but it's the intersection of immigrant, foreign, ethnic, Muslim, brown, Mexican, terrorist, national security threat, personified by 9 11. Right. Where literally the two towers fell and this Middle Eastern booyah base of a brown threat became a civilizational conflict Islam versus the West. It was a great Trojan horse for both Republicans and Democrats to expand the national security narrative to increase billions of dollars on immigration enforcement and border security, literally jacking it up to $600 billion and deportations went up. I'm sorry, can you repeat that? How many billions? $600 billion. 60,000 uh, immigrants were deported last year. In 1980, that number was 3,000. DHS was created after 9-11, which then subsumed like Unicron, an amazing 80s pop culture reference to Transformers. <laughs> I got uh, it. I got ICE, it. Border Patrol, and the immigration, uh, Citizenship and Immigration services, services, right? UCSIS. Behemoth. Right. UCSIS. And, all, and what happened was the following. The last thing I'll say is immigrant, national security, terrorism, border wall security. And the facts show increase in border security, yep. increase in border patrol, increase in enforcement, Billions of dollars in investment have systematically proven that they have not helped in any way, shape, or form to counter terrorism. More of your tax dollars goes into immigration, enforcement, detention, and deportation than all federal law enforcement agencies combined. Combined. Did you know that? It's a congressionally mandated bed quota of 32,000 people every day must be in detention. So that private mandated prisons, by mandated private by prisons also, the increase in private prisons. And President Trump wants to increase that to 80,000 beds of people that we want deported. Can you drop the number? How many undocumented individuals live in this country? 11 million. But there's so many undocumented white people that I don't think is even a part of this entire conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Irish. Canadians. British. Canadian. German. French. I've met many of them. But, yes. Hey, build a wall and make Canada pay for it. <laughs> Trump declared victory. On 11-9, November 9th. My argument is in some ways 11-9 is a culmination of 9-11. Mm -hmm. When after 9-11, what happened? The illegal and the Muslim 
became the two biggest boogeyman in America. And the Mexican. And the Mexican. Right? It's, I mean, honestly, Maria right and I here. talk about this a lot. The three like, of us. If there were more, and I'm really sad to report this, I've been a journalist since 1998. There are less people of color working in journalists, in journalism, in newsrooms today than they were when I started in 1998. I have a question for Jose Antonio because we... We have to establish that, that this country, there's plenty of people that associate criminality to people of Mexican descent, which then turns into Latin American. But, you know, the fastest growing undocumented immigrant community experiencing, you know, growth are actually Chinese, South Koreans and Indians. Filipinos. And Filipinos. So right? the fastest growing undocumented population are Asians. I'm sorry, I have to say this. I've never said this publicly. Go for it. Chuck Todd, the host of uh, Meet the Press, got him on the phone. Hey. Can I tell you that undocumented Asian people are the fastest growing undocumented population? And can you ask Donald Trump what building the wall has to do with that? Mm. Right. Oh, that's a great question, Jose. <laughs> waited, waited, waited. Of course, he never asked it. Now, I'm going to give Chuck Todd the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that guess what? This doesn't fit the narrative. The narrative is this is a Mexican problem. I actually think we owe the Mexican people of this country an apology. Eso. I don't hear it. I'm sorry. Okay, wait a second. Damn. There are 33 million Mexican Americans in the United States, 22 million of whom are U.S. citizens. The Mexicans in this country now are what the Germans were exactly. in the turn of the century. And the fact that we have so racialized this group of people is a moral corruption of endless proportions. It's a narrative corruption. I mean, you mentioned the word narrative, and it's very important because look at the protagonists and the antagonists. Mexican is synonymous with... Criminal. Criminal. Muslim terrorist. terrorist. If you look at the ad that Donald Trump did, this first ad, 30-second ad, it was very, very subtle. Focused on only two issues, the border wall and the Muslim ban. The politicians can pretend it's something else, but Donald Trump calls it radical Islamic terrorism. That's why he's calling for a temporary shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until we can figure out what's going on. He'll stop illegal immigration by building a wall on our southern border that Mexico will pay for. We will make America... I will keep you safe from the enemy who is coming and taking your job and ruining your security. Who is the enemy? It's them. Who is them? The Mexican other. It doesn't matter. It could be Latino, whatever. They're all Mexican-y. mexican <laughs> We're talking about narratives and facts and the reality, right? The reality you just yeah. mentioned. When you think about Muslim, you think about terrorists. You think about Osama bin Laden, you think about Ayatollah Khomeini, you think about Saddam Hussein, you think about ISIS, you think about Boko Haram, you think about Al-Shabaab, you think about Duck Dynasty. Duck think Dynasty. about it. Because you guys are for racial profiling. I'm tech support. I'm your friendly tech support. I'm Nothing's going to happen support. to me. But white hipster with a beard, he's going down. So think about racial profiling. But real quick, they did research. Thank you. Uh, they did research, <laughs> and they said the following. In the past... Six years, when they did the research of all domestic terrorist threats, nearly twice as many domestic terrorist threats were uh, undertaken by who? White, white men. White, mm -hmm. radical, anti-government radicals. Yeah. Okay. In the past four years, a Georgia State University a study came out that said in America, when it came to the domestic terrorist uh, database, there were 13% of potential terrorist plots were committed by Muslims or potentially by Muslimy people. Uh, the majority were right, radical, anti-government folks, white supremacists, white terrorists. Guess what the media coverage was? Stunning stat I'm about to drop. When it came to a Muslim suspect, mainstream media, 4.5 times as many stories. 
So the narrative of 1.6 billion people, I'll stop at this, 1,400 years of civilization and 2 to 3 million American Muslims, the most diverse religious communities in America, is what? ISIS, Al-Shabaab, Boko Haram. Our entire utility, this is for the Mexicans and for the Muslims. What's your purpose and your worth in America? What are you doing to help national security? Muslim, is your mother fighting ISIS? <laughs> Mexicanese, are you fighting undocumented citizens? If not, go to the back of the bus. You're okay to make my St. Regis buffet in the back or go into the basement or drive my cab, but don't ever dream of being the protagonist of the American narrative. By, by the way, yeah. Sorry about that. No, no, no that, that no was a moment. That's okay. Jose's got me fiery today, man. It's a mod- I, I gotta say, by the way, because our work at Define American is all about this narrative thing. And I have to say, you were saying this. So we did a film with MTV called White People. And it, it was Great really, film. It was really interesting. But they came up, I didn't know this, 71% of white people live in predominantly white towns. 90% of white people have predominantly white friends, which means what? The only time you're going to meet a person of color or an immigrant is the news you consume and the television shows and the movies you watch. Yeah. And the theater, if you get to Broadway or regional, what do you see? So the stories we tell, the narratives that we tell, absolutely And the critical. reason why, actually, why, Jose Antonio, you created your own company. Define American. We yeah. created. Futuro Media. We understood that we needed to create our own narrative. Right. And in order to do that, we had to, I had to be the boss. Por Dios. La jefa. Y eres la jefa. La jefa. And, by way, and by the way, though, to be honest, though, we are competing with multi-million, multi-billion dollar corporations whose very existence depend upon the narrative that they keep telling. And here's and, part of And that's the why what Jose Antonio said yeah. about the fact that our newsrooms are actually less diverse now matters. Because, you know, most of the narrative coming out of the mainstream newsrooms that are predominantly white and men when they're talking about demographic change, they report on it like, oh, my God, it's the brown. They're coming. Coming soon. The, Mexicans, the brown the Muslims, people. Pakistanis. <laughs> you know, it's basically approached like that. Subtly. But you get it, right? When we're that talking. That was very subtle, Maria. Yeah. When we talk about it, it's like, hey, what's up? Like, we're here. We've, we got story. Always, we've, always like we've always been, been here. That's our world. Like we're just like talking to our fellow Americans. Right. Like here we are because we are not freaking out about the change, which we have always been because we are that change. Hey, Julio here. So here's something that happens to me all the time. I work from home and I remember something I need to buy for the house. Shampoo, paper towels, toothpaste, all that good stuff. And then next time I'm at the store, I can't remember anything. But then I found Jet.com, a shopping site that makes it so easy to buy the stuff I need that I can do it right when it hits me. I can get brand name clothes, electronics, books, and trust me, with all the laundry I have to do for my teenagers, I'm not running out of detergent anytime soon. You know what's even cooler? Jet.com allows me to save money on all this stuff that I'm always buying anyway. The more I buy... The more I save, I get free returns, two-day shipping, and I love this, no annual fee. And here's the best part. On top of regular Jet.com savings, now you can get 20% off your first two orders over $35. All you need to do is go to Jet.com and enter promo code ITT at checkout. One more time, for 20% off your first two orders over $35, visit Jet.com and enter promo code ITT at checkout. 
Terms and conditions apply. See Jet.com for details. And if you're a fan of In the Thick, try our sister podcast, Latino USA. This week, what does it mean to be Afro-Latino in 2017? And who gets to claim the title? From a look at anti-blackness within the Latino community to a history of Afro-Latinidad, both in the U.S. and abroad. Subscribe to Latino USA wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to In the Thick. I'm Maria Hinojosa. With me is my co-host, Julio Ricardo Varela, and we're joined by Jose Antonio Vargas, who's a journalist, immigrant rights activist, and founder of Define American, and also by Wajahat Ali, who's a TV host and contributor to the New York Times. Let's get back to our live recording at the Aspen Ideas Festival. This is the one that we want to ask both you guys, and this is coming from the Cato Institute. Immigrants are way less likely to commit crimes than native U.S.-born citizens. As someone who's undocumented, when you get here, you realize you're this illegal person. Of course, the last thing you want to do is do anything bad, right? Like, you want, I like avoid the cop. Like, like, like I don't want to, like, and, but, but how that narrative has been sewn in, how the New York Times, which still to this day call us illegal, which is actually factually incorrect. To be in this country illegally is a civil offense and not a criminal one. Please go to defineamerican.com. We have facts matter sheet that has Ooh, all this stuff. Commercial. But, but no, here's the big thing though, guys. Clay Shirky, I love Clay Shirky, said to me once, Jose, you don't bring facts to a culture war, man. Mm. You bring stories and emotion. You bring stories and emotion. You're so Okay, biased. but let me tell you this fact, okay, just because we, we want to tell our audience. Immigrants without a high school degree are also way less likely to commit crimes than native U.S. born citizens without a high school degree. We, we've given you a context, right? You, we all kind of have a context. But, but it's so clearly, factually, data-based, wrong. How is it that our colleagues continue to not tell the story correctly? Can I? All right. I'll yes. say something bold. Go watch. Wait, because you've been so not bold. I know. Like, I've been holding well, back. The moderate restraint, Muslim. Restraint. Uh, moderate revenge of the moderate Muslim. White supremacy is a hell of a drug. And white supremacy is not, just listen to me carefully, if you can. This is not anti-white people. This is not saying white people are evil. This is not saying white people are racist. Just give us 30, 40 seconds on this. And, and oh, I need more people. than that. But okay. well, I mean, okay. It's a system of supremacy based on exclusion. It's a system that is entrenched within the American nar narrative. It is part and parcel of the original sin. And it builds upon this fear of the other, the stranger. I'll give you an example. Study after study has finally reinforced what myself, Maria, and Julio have been saying on In the Thick for the past year and a half, that the majority of white voters who went for Donald Trump, it was not due to the economy. I'm talking about the base. It was not because they were, you know, really angry at Hillary Clinton, even though some were. Repeatedly, it shows the following. It was because the narrative was the following. This country no longer belongs to me. I'm a stranger in my own land. Oh my God, things are changing too fast. Part two, they are changing it. Who's they? The immigrants, the Mexicans, the Muslims. A zero-sum mindset. It's us versus them. Studies show this. Meanwhile, as Maria was saying, when it comes to people of color, and I think I speak for all of us, it's not zero-sum. We don't want to take your pie. We just want a piece of the pie. We don't want to take your seat. We want a seat. So when we get on the stage. We just want to add some ingredients into that. Yeah, we're like, we're, like, we're like the following. Like backstage, we're like, holy, what do we all say? 
oh my God, we're at Aspen. Yeah, this we is did. great. Meanwhile, when it comes to that Trump supporter, that Trump base, it's you took my seat. And as a result, in order for me to feel safe and to feel great again, I have to exclude you because it has become an existential crisis. Your ascent is my existential crisis. What's Steve Bannon's favorite book? Anyone know? Camp of the Saints, a 1970s French novel that warned a fictional novel of a horde of brown immigrants overtaking Europe. He, Mike drops that book repeatedly and says, Europe is facing, quote, Steve Bannon, quote, an invasion. That's what's going to happen to the Judeo-Christian West. By the way, I love white people. I made a film called White People. I was raised by Some white people. Some of our people. favorite people are white people. Like my best but, but, one of so my best friends. white friends. You know, white dude, you know. Um, David, we actually made a film for MTV called White People. And my, the whole purpose of making the film was to talk to young white Americans about what it means that they're actually an emerging racial minority. In American public schools from K to 12, right, American white students are in the minority. And guess what? They have grown up their entire lives hearing about these borders and these invaders and these walls. And my question to young white people is, do you know where you come from? How did you get here? Who paid? Unless you're Native American, unless you're African American who were imported here to build this country for free, right? You came from somewhere. And how dare you ask me about my border or my wall or how I got here if you don't even know how you got here? You know what was so depressing about this experience was how many young white Americans we talked to, we didn't know how they got here. They didn't know what it was like for the Irish Americans, you know, to get on those coffin ships. They don't know what it was like for Italians to be discriminated against. They don't know what the Germans had to face. And Irish weren't considered and white. Irish, and Irish were but, but to me, though, this whole conversation, and, you know, let's bring this globally, right? Why is it that when white people move, you call it manifest destiny? You call it white man's burden? Expats. Why is it that when we move, there's 244 million migrants around the world, 244 million people, and we are migrating to countries that previously colonized or imperialized us. I'm from the Philippines, yo. Like, <laughs> yo, Puerto Rico, Philippines, right here in the house. We are here because you were there. Exactly. Right? Yet you, it's white man's burden, it's manifest destiny. When we move, is it legal? One of the things that you hear in this debate is like, well, my grandparents came here illegally, and like, why don't you? And I don't think anyone in I don't think a lot of people in America know that before like 1923, 1922, everyone could come into this country as long as you were like didn't have measles. Like this whole Ellis Island romanticized version of like here come the European immigrants. Like and we're talking the Irish, Italians, people that were the cheap labor. They didn't have papers. They didn't need green cards. You know. Then you fast forward to the 60s when all of a sudden. You know, the country started getting a little bit browner. You know, 1965, Asian, 1965. Immigration and Nationality Act, which is the biggest legacy of the Kennedy family. The reason why the country is so Asian and so Latino is of the Kennedy family. The reason why I'm here. The reason why, the reason why my grandparents got here and then smuggled me here <laughs> is because of that. But people right. don't know that. It's supply and demand, right? Like eventually, when you have more people coming from Asia and Latin America, those are the numbers. But the quotas where it's like wait in line. No wonder people like we have people waiting 30, 40, like years can, waiting can, to can become I say something in the 20s. Let's not forget this. This is important in American history. Let's take the DeLorean to 20th century. Don't go across the Atlantic. <laughs> DeLorean. Thank you, Noam, for that back to the future. Back not. to the future. Come on, Marty. Eastern European Jews and Irish Catholics were not considered white. Yep. These quotas that were put in place that were then loosened up by the 1965 Act were 
in part due to the influx of this Eastern European horde. If you look at modern Islamophobia, and I've researched it literally, if you simply replace Jew and Catholic, the way they were talking about Jews and Catholics in the 30s, 40s, 50s, when this young buck by the name of JFK was ascending, literally replace what they were saying with Muslim. I say without hyperbole, it is the exact same talking points from the 2012 and 2016 Republican presidential candidates. And also what you're witnessing is, I'll just drop this real quick. What century did Muslims first come here to America? What century? Uh, They were uh, 1500s. 16th century. You're right. right. Black slaves were brought here forcibly against their will. Five to 30% of the slaves were Muslim. If you think about it, Muslim blood, sweat, labor, bones, dreams, fertilize this country's soil. But 65% of Americans in 2017 say they don't know Muslim. I I have to say, though, and this is to further contextualize this even more, you realize in the next 50 years, according to the Pew Research Center, 88% of the total population growth of America... 88% is going to come from immigrants and their descendants. So this is a country that can barely talk about black people without having a panic attack. Right? You can't even talk about Black Lives Matter without saying all lives matter. We always erase Native Americans from the conversation. And now... We're going to have to talk about immigrants, legal or undocumented, which is why the stories we tell, the narratives that we frame, who gets to tell whose story and why? These are deep, essential questions. Which is why, you know, I've traveled, as you guys know, because I'm always on a plane. What I see actually is most of the time it's like people are getting it. People are cool with it. (laughs) Like it's a win-win. And we know this actually empirically. Like, for example, when I end up in a small town in western Minnesota in the middle of nowhere where you have this tiny town that has white folks, Somali refugees who are American citizens, and Mexicans. Laverne, Minnesota. Laverne. Shout okay, shout, shout out, out to Laverne. Laverne, Minnesota. Shout out to Laverne, Minnesota. It, actually, it, it, it wasn't Laverne. It was Wilmar. Where we were was Wilmar. But we're also shouting out Laverne. But we're, we're shouting out Laverne, too, because dinners, somebody probably from Laverne is right here at the Aspen Ideas Festival. So... So, ahí como que la gente no tiene miedo. Like, they're, like they're too busy to be afraid. Do you know what I'm saying? They're busy doing stuff. They're busy talking to each other. They're busy doing the business of American democracy. Okay, we have time for some questions. And we do have microphones, so wait until the microphone comes to you. Okay, I'm from Oklahoma, and this conversation is very refreshing. We don't hear much of this. I agree with everything all of you have just said. Uh, Here's my question. Behind your heads, I see the words ideas. If you are king for the day, or better yet, any one of you are president for the next four years, we've talked a lot about the problems. What are the solutions? As an undocumented Filipino, I would say that the first thing I would do is to provide a legal pathway to citizenship for the 11 million undocumented immigrants in this country. Because that's what we've always done to people. But I have to say, I'm so happy that you asked about the idea part. I don't know about you, but do you want to spend any more billions of dollars trying to secure a border that never will be secure? Like I, I, used, to, I used to actually think that the immigration system was broken. I've stopped saying that. Because, you know, I broke my ankle. It was an accident. This seems deliberate, right? You know, this is a country founded on cheap labor. 
You put a sign outside of the U.S.-Mexico border saying, keep out, 10 yards in, what do you say? Help wanted. It's almost as if you want this and you need this. My mom, who I haven't seen since I was 12, is still on a nine-year waiting list to come here. Because if you're from the Philippines, Guatemala, or India, that's how long you wait. But our work, Define American, has been incredible watching people in Europe start Define British, Define Irish, Define German campaigns just looking at what we're doing. This is a global conversation about ideas, about who we decide to welcome and why. I think those should be the questions we should be asking and not these borders, Republicans, Democrats. Just like we broadened the definition uh, of criminal in the 90s under both Republican and Democratic administrations to incarcerate and deport overwhelmingly innocent uh, immigrants for non-criminal offenses, I want us to broaden the definition and understanding and context of what it means to be an American. Can a multi-hyphenated, caramel-skinned kid with an Arabic name be seen as an American? Second big picture idea. Can we carry each other's water? Can a mexican individual stand for an angry, nasty woman? Can a nasty woman stand for someone who's muslim whose family might not be able to come due to the Muslim ban? Can a Muslim stand for someone who will be oppressed simply because they're LGBT? My name is Dina. I'm a fellow journalist. I'm a host and producer at AJ+. So I travel around a lot, do a lot of uh, stories on some of the biggest hot-button issues, a refugee crisis, uh, Trump's crackdown on undocumented immigrants, what it's like to be driving while black. And I look at the comment sections of these videos, which you're not supposed to do, but there's just so much hate and vitriol, and it's so polarizing. How do we go about growing that radical empathy and spreading it, and and how do you guys struggle with that? I think the role of actual conversations... And I don't mean 120, 140 character Facebook postings, like conversations that gets messier and uglier, you know? Um, one quick thing about this, because, you know, I'm the most visible undocumented immigrant. I fly a lot, and I do Fox News quite a bit, so people recognize me at airports. So one time at Tampa, I was flying from Tampa to New York, and I fly so much, I'm a Diamond Delta member, so I always get upgraded. Damn, Damn. that's a lot. Damn. Like, I, I mean, I was platinum for a little bit. <laughs> so this guy recognized me at the boarding area, and when we boarded, grabbed my shoulder and said, I didn't know illegals could fly first class. <sighs> and you know, I know karate. <laughs> I swear to God, when he touched me, that was when, like, and the woman next to me knew that something was wrong. And I had to sit there, and I'm like, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? I look back, and I'm realizing, and he's even more broad-shouldered than me, and I'm realizing that the man had a middle seat in coach. (laughs) And you know when you're in Delta, they give you, like, free drinks. So I got, like, a Jack something with Coke or whatever. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So 20 minutes into this, I decided to send him the drink. And then afterwards, when we landed at LaGuardia, I decided to wait for him. And again, I'm not asking people to do this. This is just, I'm a journalist. This is what I do. Hey, you know, like, what's up? 41-year-old guy named Tyler. um, He was laid off five years ago, couldn't get a job. And thinks that it's people like me who are taking the jobs. And I said, you know, sir... I know that you know that I'm some illegal alien, but I'm also an entrepreneur. Undocumented people are actually allowed to form businesses and employ people. So I actually employ 15 people, many of whom are white American citizens. That one little bit of information and engagement have changed the way he's speaking to the issue, and now we're actually in touch. We're moving on to our final segment. 
It's called Mic Drop. What? What? You get to choose from a list of options. All right. Okay, you say your piece. And then you can literally drop the mic. It doesn't matter because we do have mics on us. These are expensive mics. And Don't so what are the it. options? Drop, yeah. Yeah. What, are, what are the options? Okay, so the options that you can choose from are Fantasy CNN, What's Missing, Tough Questions, Mea Culpa, and Side Eye. So, Wash, what do you pick? I'm going to be a stereotypical overambitious son of immigrants and tackle a couple of them. Real oh, quick. Maria Campo. Maria Campo. Yes. Yes. He's going to put them all together. Uh, my Mia Culpa. The Obama, even though I've been studying whiteness my entire life as a person of color, I assumed I misunderestimated the death march of white nationalism and white supremacy, both in this country and in Europe. Fantasy CNN. Uh, not uh, double standards, equal standards. So if you can fire Reza Aslan uh, for Ooh. saying something uh, yes, like an you know, POS statement, maybe you can fire, I don't know, a Corey Lewandowski for assaulting a reporter. Uh, or maybe Bill Maher for, even though it's HBO, for saying the N-word and the next week having a round of applause and having Ice Cube come on his show. Not double standards, equal standards. Final mic drop, I'll say is this. If you aren't telling your story, your story is always being told to you by others. If you aren't writing your story, your story is always being written for you by others. I'll be damned if I let my two American Muslim children, Nuseba and Ibrahim, about to turn three and one, that they will be footnotes, that they will be victims, that they, they will suffer, that there's nothing they can do about it, that they're gonna have to burrow their head in shame and hide their tail in the corner, that they have to sit on the side. Instead, I'm gonna say, you're going to throw down in the ring, not as a spectator, but as a participant, and you're going to rise, and you're going to earn it. You're going to, as immigrants, we know, you always have to work harder, better, faster, you're stronger, smarter. I, I want to break gonna, it you're a throw, You're going to throw down, and inshallah, you're going to rise. You're going to have a piece and part of the American buffet, and inshallah, once you bring your biryani to the meatloaf table, and once you make it, you're going to extend your hand and look behind you and see the other American community that is being marginalized, and you're going to lift them up, and we will rise together. <laughs> he just did... I'm, I'm, what is it? Am I supposed to follow that? Yeah, you're yeah. supposed to follow that. Um, and well, then, so okay. take that, fellow And immigrant. if I'm undocumented, does that mean I get less questions, or can I do all of them, too? <laughs> no, you get okay. more questions. I'll do this really quick. Fantasy CNN. I would love to see CNN do a thing where it's not about liberals and conservatives and Democrats and Republicans, but actually have this thing called ideas. Can we debate ideas, CNN? What's missing? My dear friend, Jose Marias, who's sitting right there, is the artist in residence at Define American, undocumented, queer, poet, amazing. We're about to launch a campaign at Define American called UndocuJoy. We are living through such gloom and doom and depression that I think it's really important to uplift the fact that we get up every day in a country that talks about, talks about us like we're insects off your backs, and we go to work, and we provide for our families, and we find whatever joy and dignity we can in everything we do. So that's missing, and that's coming. Oh, you're just going down through the yeah. whole list. I'm could... so sorry for any American who voted for Trump who may feel that I have oversimplified or stereotyped you and where you're coming from. I'll plus one that. I can't ask you to see me fully if I can't see you fully. And this has to be a time of radical empathy. Mm. The tough question, we have been told our entire lives that we have to earn the citizenship thing. 
and I'm trying to do everything I can since I was 16 to earn it. I know my friend Yosimal is doing that. I would love to respectfully ask all of you who happen to have been born in this country, what are you doing to earn your citizenship? What are you doing to contribute? Because if you're not, this is not a time for silence or indifference. We need you more than ever to speak up. <laughs> Damn. Wow. Um, wow. But I, I just want to actually publicly comment about... Uh, I was just called an activist journalist by the largest Irish uh, newspaper, English-language newspaper in, in New York City, Irish Central, because I dared to say that the Boston media always tends to treat Irish immigrants in a very romanticized light, as opposed to Latin American immigrants who are incredibly criminalized. And, you know, there's a case in Boston where there was an Irish community leader that was just detained by ICE. And you would think like there has never been anyone in the city of Boston that has never been detained by ICE. So I decided to tweet about it by speaking out being called an activist journalist is seeing like, well, you're biased or you're not good enough, but I'm a Boston guy and I know what Boston is. And the fact that it really got a lot of people like really like coming at me was just because I spoke the truth. There needs to be allies in this movement and, and, and places in Boston need to realize that Boston has changed. What do you got, Maria? Um, so everybody's been so incredibly eloquent that I'm just going to make it really, really small and simple. And I'm, but I'm going to reverse it. You know what's, you know what's not missing? What? Us at the Aspen Ideas. Oh! Jose Antonio Vargas, Swajahat Ali, thank you so much for joining Julio and me on In the Thick. This was amazing. At our live recording right here at the Aspen Ideas Festival. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Maria Hinojosa. And I'm Julio Ricardo Varela. And remember, go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review us because it really helps us. Also, follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at In The Thick Show. Find us and like us on Facebook. And please tell your friends and family to listen. Our producer is Noam Hassenfeld. Our senior editor is Nadia Raymond. Our intern is Nicola Acevedo. Our theme music is Comencemos by Jungle Fire. Some of the music that you heard is composed by Noam. And the other music is courtesy of Nacional, Kept, and ZZK Records. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Listening to In the Thick. Nos vemos. Ciao. Goal! Goal! We know how to do that.